Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buckle up for an unfiltered dose of comedy. Full disclosure, I've had a lot of sex, but honestly, having sex with me is like buying a Prius. It's much quieter than you'd expect. Epics presents Unprotected Sets. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Dennis Quaid here, and I want to tell you about the Orange Street. Now, I have recently started a podcast network called Audio Up, and much as I prepare for movie roles, I've been researching the podcast landscape and listening to hundreds of podcasts. One in particular stopped me in my tracks. The Orange Tree. It's a true crime podcast series told with such authenticity and care by Haley Butler and Tinu Thomas, two journalists who were University of Texas students when they started reporting on the story. It's about the 2005 murder of a young woman named Jennifer Cave near the University of Texas at Austin campus. What struck me most was the thorough examination of the case and the exclusive access granted to these two young reporters. What makes this true crime story so unique is their perspective. There are two young women who are the same age as Jennifer Cave and at very similar points in their lives. The Orange Tree is engaging, it's thoughtful, and really, really powerful. Take a listen to The Orange Tree on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts you're listening to lips la with scott lips hey guys welcome to the show it's scott lips and you are back for another action-packed episode of lip service on today's show mr anthony boza anthony is a super well-known journalist written many cover stories from rolling stone and obviously you know him for writing books like the eminem book out now books by slash tommy lee Artie lang mick fleetwood tracy morgan acdc Derek jeter the list goes on stories that this guy has are unbelievable he also has his own podcast which we're excited to hear about we're both from long island which is amazing so if you like the show, make sure you tell 10 friends about it, tell 20 friends, tell as many friends as you can humanly, you know, humanly possible. Um, hopefully the show is uh, available everywhere for you, iTunes, Spotify, everywhere that you get your shows. And coming up in just a moment, Mr. Anthony Boza. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, it's Scott Lips. Welcome to the show. Another exciting episode of Lip Service. With today's guest, Mr. Anthony Boza. 
So yep. I, did I said it correctly? Cause uh, Anthony Boza, yes. Boza, right. I said it correctly. Because yeah. I know there's been some debate on how your name is said, but that yep. is the correct pronunciation. Mm-hmm. From um, the Italian. From the Italian here. So it's funny. We were just talking, and um, we have many connections in life, but I, first and foremost, we have a great friend, Sean Daly, who we, we can't, uh, you know, on tour, as I was saying, Sean... And and Miko, the guitar player we played with at the time, did a, a, a lot of picture taking of me sleeping on tour with my mouth open. So that was my fondest memory of uh, <laughs> my time traveling it, with Sean. But but you're from my, Long uh, Island. It was my ex- first exposure to you. And was um, it? Yeah. I'm happy to say that our relationship's gone nowhere but up. <laughs> yeah. After after you see tons of Instagrams <laughs> of, of someone sleeping with their mouth open across every city in the country. Yeah. There really is only one place to go, which is up. But um, it wasn't fair because you're a very like dapper, put together thank guy. Thank you. Thank you. But is, it was you never really, really, you never really out there like that. Thank, it was meant to show me at my worst, which <laughs> they, they did a great job at. But you're actually, it's funny in, in doing the research and, and we'll talk about the fact that how many New York times bestsellers are at this point? Uh, are you like eight, eight? Okay. Yes. Um, so you're actually the second author, Mr. Neil Strauss. My yeah. buddy was on the show too. One and of my peers and buds. One of the greatest guys, and uh, and I have a guy named Jay Sheedy um, coming up too, who you might know, who's another nice. author who used to be a monk, which is incredible. Whoa! But so you're my second author on the show, and, and friend, and and obviously I want to talk about your beginnings, your your path, Anthony, and how you started and whatnot. But it, we are both from Long Island, so which is great, you know, Strong and, Island and, and, baby. And, and I didn't know that. And and not <laughs> only are we both from the same place, we're both from the same exact. My my parents. Shout out to my incredible mom and dad. Live in a place called Port Washington, Roslyn. Yeah, which is, I guess, where you grew up. Yep, um, born in Brooklyn, raised on Long Island, uh, Port Washington. We moved a couple times, but like you know, I was right off Main Street down there. I love Port Washington; it's yeah, super the, the cute. Manha- what's it called? The Manhasset, in, that, that that mall. That oh, the Americana. The Americana, yes. right? Right. We it's moved to Manhasset, and uh, I was able to bike ride to the Americana. Yeah, I would say like the mean streets of Manhasset, right? Because it's right. pretty affluent, I guess. Right. It now it's like Rodeo Drive. Right. It used to be a little more mixed. Like there was a grocery, there was like an A and P in there okay. back when I was a definitely kid. not there anymore. Right? It's all like no. Gucci and yeah. Prada and whatnot. Totally. Like um, when. You know, it's in that Billy Joel song, like you got to get some white wall tires if you want to cruise a miracle mile. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so that true. was a little different back yeah, then. It was yeah, like yeah. <laughs> that's definitely was not the case now. But um, so you grew up there, and you grew up in a pretty affluent. Your background was affluent. Your your your, your folks were great. What do your parents do? Uh, my dad is was he's oh, retired, uh, but he's a doctor. A doctor, right? Because yeah. I heard on one thing that in researching you, he delivered like a guy who was doing a Guns N' Roses podcast with you, his baby. He, he did, oh, yeah. He delivered him, an, actually. Yep, he's an, <laughs> an OBGYN. Exactly. Um, and we have the same, you know, he named me after him. So we, there's been a couple of funny, you know, moments where that he checked into a hotel once and uh i think this is the only time he really realized i was doing something cool and somebody was like um did you write that cover story on rolling stone this week this month <laughs> um <laughs> like, so yes, yeah i did, I did. <laughs> he was in like, between delivering babies I yeah did. he's did the m&m story actually exactly um, <laughs> so, so i mean so many books obviously i, I talked about uh, you know the m&m book is new just mm-hmm. came out i did talk a little bit and and i want to talk about your history and and how you got to being a writer and all that kind of stuff but I do have to touch base on the fact that I did watch the Oscars. Me, and in fact, I think your phone, we all think the phone is definitely listening to us because the first picture that came up on my Instagram a minute ago after I talked about this is something that I'll show you because I thought it was quite fascinating because you you know how it, you talk and then something shows up on your phone a second later. And the, everyone's listening. They're big, all listening. Big Brother's I hate it. watching, right? <laughs> um, but, but interesting enough, when I, I just was on my Instagram a second ago, the first thing that came up after... 
talking about in your intro was a picture of Eminem, and it said, Eminem finally explained why the hell he was at the Oscars. Because yeah. I think we were all confused like as to what he was doing singing Lose Yourself, which was like 20 years ago. Right. Uh, there was no explanation. It was sort of out of context. He's great. And you obviously have this book that just came out. Mm-hmm. And so... Do you understand like what the content? I didn't read yeah. the article; it just came up. So yeah, I just- yeah. I mean, I did a post about it because I was just I didn't understand why. The next morning, I was just looking at stuff in the media, and I didn't understand why all of these reporters who really it doesn't take too much to figure this out. Like, yeah. No one got it. Yeah. But I mean, the significance. I didn't is, dive deep on it to be honest. I knew you were coming in, so I was like, maybe you can answer this. We'll one, handle so. it. <laughs> um, I mean, the significance is that when he won in two thousand three, he didn't go to the ceremony because oh, okay. he he didn't think he was going to win. He thought like, there's absolutely no way. You know, the guy has never really liked awards shows. Yeah. Um, doesn't like press. He now he's. We'll get to that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> he he never really liked awards shows. You know, even back when he went to the Grammys, he threw sort of begrudgingly. So he didn't think there was a snowball's chance that he was going to win. So right. he didn't go. He didn't want to like show up and feel like a loser. Yeah. Um, he was actually at home reading a book to his daughter, and he fell asleep. And then his phone started blowing up, and he was like, "What?" And they're like, "You won, you won." So he's never been to the Oscars. Um, so he's like 20 years he, later, I, I might as well just go now. Well, and also back then, they would have every single nominee perform a piece of the song. Oh, they used right, to do those okay. medleys, right, remember, right, for a yeah. while there. So, it's still weird. I don't. I mean, half the stuff going on there, I can't. It so, was like a soapbox, the whole show. I, I really yeah. got a little bit irritating for me after a while, to be honest. I mean, I, I love some of the things that people have to say, but... I do also want to watch it to be somewhat entertained. So I right. find I'm like conflicted yeah. if I want to watch like half the stuff going on there. But anyway, so he did so that as a sort he of. He didn't uh, show, he didn't do it. They did like, um, they basically had an instrumental version of the song okay. in the medley. Um, and then he won. So he's never been. And I think the thing that, you know, sort of, I didn't understand people's confusion because if you listen to, um, you know, um, Lin Manuel uh, Manuel Miranda. I always stumble right, over yeah. his name. Um, I can't say it either. So. His speech was his like really heartfelt speech was all about the role of music in movies and how you know if there's a, the perfect song it becomes intermeshed with the film forever. It's like part of the narrative. You you can't think of one without the other. And then they had this montage of you know like fifty years of that. Right. And to me, I can't think of a song in recent years that has done that better than lose yourself yeah. you know and it's even more like significant because it's it's a semi-autobiographical film so it's not just a song that somebody wrote for the movie it's yeah, he yeah. wrote it about his life definitely so in that way it makes complete intro. sense maybe an you know? intro could have been just to kind of say hey eminem's back you know after 20 years he's back to <clears throat> reclaim you know the award i don't know just some some kind of context i, don't, I didn't have any context yeah, yeah, I mean, but I th- it was great. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Um, so the book, right? So yeah, you've written so many books, and and there's so much to talk about with you in terms of like obviously I, I have my favorites. So I obviously have read the Tommy Lee book, the Slash book, yeah. a lot of those books over the years because some of those you know very, a lot of those guys. Yeah, and they're like near and dear to me, and we have stories, and 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 your stories are you know it's it's boundless the the amount of stories that you have about all these books, and I and I've listened to some of them already, and some are quite incredible. Um, but how did this book come about? Right? Obviously, the show, normally what I do is I take people through people's journeys and paths and their, mm-hmm. and their upbringings. And I do want to get into kind of how you started and, and, and your beginnings as a writer. Because I think you were an intern I at was. Rolling Stone when you first started, right? Yes, sir. And so so the, the path was sort of like just waiting around in, until that opening came. How long were you mm-hmm. interning for? Um, I interned, well, back then they had a publishing division. So I interned okay. in the books department. 
and I got the job because Kurt Cobain killed himself. Wow. <laughs> and they needed, I had been accepted to as an intern for the magazine, but in the next sort of cycle. Okay. Because I got my resume in a little bit late. Um, and then, so when he killed himself, they needed, you know, a bunch of hands to get this book done quickly. Mm. And I was sort of on the top of the heap. So I got into the books department, which was already like, you know, one degree separated from the, uh, the magazine because it was a really small operation. But, there I learned to do research. I mean, I was a history major, so I'm like total nerd for research. So sure. I was I was into that. And then... Um, By the I way, you should tell people, because I, I have to do research every day that I do one of these shows, or the day before, or day at, whatever it may be. And you don't people don't realize how much work the research part is, right? So that's yeah. almost like half of your job as a writer, would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of it. I mean, I will say that it's so much easier and fun to do now. You yeah. can do it on your phone to a decent degree. You Another know, Wikipedia, I have to be honest. Yeah, no, no, totally. Sometimes I mean, that's it's good. Not and accurate, then, but, you know. No, if you cross-reference it, you yeah. can do it. But, I mean, back then there was, you know, LexisNexis, which I believe still exists. What is that? Uh, it's like a giant database of periodicals. Okay. Is that pre-Wikipedia so, or something? Yeah, okay. definitely. It Now, it's a, still a subscription service. It's like what all the magazines use to like you know that's that's for articles from life magazine from 1955 it goes like all the way back um and i it's pretty expensive per year so you know at rolling stone there were five terminals and they were like wow. gr- green monitor you know green monitors like dos yeah. like right, DOS, I remember that. let's play um you know what's that oh man what uh, Oregon Trail? It was like the, that kind of computer. Right, right, right. Um, right so that. I'm old enough to remember that. Yeah. So uh, you know that was where all the research was done. So when I was an intern, like the editor would say, "Okay, go. I get me as many articles on this as possible," and I'd like go off to the library and do all that. And then the it was li- just like photocopying. I, people don't remember like there what, was. Yeah, Rolling yeah, Stone had a proper library yeah, where yeah. they subscriptions to the, all the magazines. Huh. You know, they were filed. Uh, we'd photocopy it. We had stuff on all kinds of man things the coolest thing they had was a copy of every single rolling stone That's ever amazing. and like yeah. an air-cooled you know yeah. thing That's so i'd read those at lunch that was great yeah. um and did you ever think that you would get to write like a cover story because obviously people always ask me I, you probably not have a company and so they're always like hey should i you know should i be an intern i'm like well i did it i don't know you did it i like, mean yeah that's how people start you know I, I did that and i did a lot of like i said i was doing research and then um that so the books thing I wasn't quite into the magazine part uh and so I was like working in bars and stuff and just kept the internship going after the intern cycle was over like twice a week unpaid um and then I I got basically asked back and they let me do more and more so they were redoing the rock and roll encyclopedia and then I was getting to like call people and interview them so I interviewed like Giorgio Moroder they didn't know where to find him and I like found an office number in Italy this is before Google too so you couldn't really it was yeah yeah it was like cop work (laughs) to some degree (laughs) stealth yeah you're actually like an undercover cop or something so just for the thrills of being able to do that stuff I was Definitely, you know, like I like I said, I was working in a couple bars in East Village, and then I was super psyched to be doing that. And yeah. mostly uh, because I was in the library so much, I became friends with the librarian, mm. and she got a budget for an assistant, so she hired me there. And then I was doing research all the time, which was actually a little bit grueling, but yeah. it was great for when I started doing my own stuff. Um, and, and the then, process of doing research for you at that point, it was 
reading old Rolling Stone magazines, looking up articles. You there wasn't YouTube. There wasn't you. Were you referencing any video clips at that point, or was it? There wasn't. Pre, any, there, there wasn't, wasn't, really wasn't any of that. that. Yeah, okay. it really wasn't. It didn't exist. Like I said, it, my world was like Lexus Nexus. Rolling yeah. Stone had a deep, deep library of books. So uh, you know, and and I would also be doing stuff for advertising people, and the business people. I would get in like a research request on my desk. Um, and then I would discuss with the librarian like what the best package to put together was. Photocopy stuff, get check out books. We had like a you know a little card system. Right. It's pretty I archaic. Never, I never like people, those books. those books never got returned <laughs> by me. I don't know why, but well, in the Rolling Stone library, we'd have to go get them sometimes. <laughs> right. I, was, I was like that guy. It's it right. kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and then, but through that, I became really good friends with one of the assistants in the music department, who is my age. And um, when there was one assistant who'd been there for quite a long time and wasn't really like moving up. And she said, you know, she's going to leave. Um, you should slide in there. Because it was when you're an assistant, you work for the music editor. You know, you got all the perks of like free tickets and albums yeah. and a chance to write if you were good enough. So, I would have liked that job because I'm so into music. Obviously, it's like my life. I loved so, it. Yeah. I mean, I always wanted to work at a record label when I was younger. And I did. And eventually I thought there'd be a lot of perks. And they made me like a tape listener. And there wasn't that many perks to like listening to cassettes, just like un, just like demos. Yeah, I'd listen to demos, and like it wasn't. I didn't get to keep that. I don't know. There's nothing there that I got to. For every M and M, there's like a million. I don't people you never heard of. It was a tough <laughs> MC job. MC Blasey Blah. Exactly. It was, it was a tough job, but uh, but it seems like a fun job, right? So that that's yeah. kind of where it started. At, cer- at a certain point, you actually. I mean, again, we're probably going a little bit forward here, but your first real big break there was the Eminem cover story. Yeah. So how do you go from being an assistant there to someone being, hey, you know what? This kid, just give this assistant the yeah. cover story of uh, and the Eminem cover story. That that there was well, certainly a path yeah. in between there, right? Absolutely. I mean, I was I was working for the music editor and um uh actually at one point two different music editors. It was kind of a tumultuous time. Two of the guys that I assisted uh, got fired. But I sort of persevered. And then um, I was working for David Frick, one of my sure. absolute writing heroes. Yeah. He's the coolest. David, I love you. And the music editor at the same time. And I slowly, you know, they gave me articles to do. Like anything that didn't want to be done. Like, right. it, like love you could, line you could tell people like, this. Yeah. If you're an intern somewhere and you want to get make a name for yourself, do the stuff that nobody wants to do and do it really, really well. That's like, it. Like columns, things like that. Yeah, just, just yeah, like whatever. annoying yeah. stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's like I, I ended up getting like columns. Notes. Yeah, there was in the back the, the charts page. We used to print the billboard charts. Yeah. I was, they started giving, letting me do little quick interviews with like okay. one-hit wonders. Oh, so cool. <laughs> literally every late 90s one-hit wonder I have interviewed. <laughs> who, who, by the way, just as a side note, is there one hit wonder that you're like, this is the greatest song ever. They never had another song after that. Is there one that sticks out in your mind? Because um, I it can't. Fastball the way. I love that oh, that's song. That's a good song. You know that yeah. song. Yeah, I'm trying to but, remember that. Is song. that fastball? I think so. Yeah. Um, I forget who wrote that though. Yeah. <laughs> Someone that famous. Like yeah. yeah, I think it was fastball. Yeah. There's so many. It's yeah. it's really funny if there's like a uh, somebody does any kind of '90s playlist. I'm like, yep, yep. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a band called Jellyfish? Yes, they're my all time awesome. favorite band, probably maybe ever. And I guess some people that don't know '90s pop might say like they're a one hit wonder, but no, they're so they're cool. they're beyond like incredible. Yeah. But for people that do, sometimes you don't get a chance to like dig deep in certain artists like that, but they're an incredible band like that. Yeah, I love but, Jellyfish. But yeah, we're, we're digressing. So, 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 so okay, <laughs> so I was doing like a bunch of those columns, 
and you know w- working for two editors taking all the writing assignments ever um i did one that w- got me some attention that was like there was a summer issue and it was the best summer songs of all time oh, cool. and um they wanted they did hot fun in the summertime by sly and the family stone nice and nobody had heard from sly forever I since think there might have been some drug oh lots there, so right? many drugs <laughs> so many drugs yeah. so i found a guy this was in i had to be like 97 98 i found a guy who was running the official sly stone you know website okay. and he was a kid who'd gone to harvard and i got in touch with him on the internet and he was the last person to like see sly stone because sly flew him out sly came to the rock and roll hall of fame in 1995 and then no one saw him again and this was like the late 90s now huh. and he i interviewed that guy and we did an article about that and he put me in touch with like uh, Jerry Martini, who's the horn player, who's living in Hawaii. So I managed to pull this article together. Did you actually find Sly, or you never found I him? I couldn't talk to Sly. He didn't want to talk, okay. but John, this guy John Dax uh, asked him, and he said no. But he told me some great stuff, like Sly was living with two identical twins. I mean, you can't make nineteen-year-old women right. in in his house, and there was like you know he had blacked out all the windows and like you know yeah lots of drugs going on. He had like drugs. Yeah. he had hours and hours and hours of music that he'd recorded and wow. all this crazy. Such a shame so, too, right? Because such an incredible talent he was is he still one of my music? absolute no. favorites he's, I, um he's still he, yet to be heard from well he had this thing where he was I, I forget who his old manager was but his manager had him on like an 18 year contract where he would oh be God. getting money and so he deliberately wasn't doing anything because he's like i'm not giving that guy one more cent so that was it that ended though but he's kind of a drug casualty he was at coachella um like in the audience or like no, playing? he was supposed to play Coachella. This was a while ago. I was actually I'm getting I was talking to Jerry Harrison. I was talking heads about this recently because yeah. <laughs> I was there and I love Sly, like deeply love Sly, yeah. and wanted to see him. And he was like supposed to have a set at one of the second stages, and you know, eight hours later, still hadn't come on. He finally came on at like when the only person who was still going was like you know some DJ and the like. Let's do Molly tent, right, like, like on the other side of it. Seriously, yeah. and but Jerry waited. Jerry and his wife waited, and he said Rosanna Arquette was there, and Sly <laughs> came out, and he'd been apparently like smoking crack with George oh Clinton God. backstage all day. He came out, and there, he sat in like a rolling office chair, and then like the poor band was just you know totally rehearsed and ready to do the hits, and he's like, I want to play some new stuff, and people were like, You got to play dance to the music, dude. Yeah, you got to play mean, something. And We've apparently, been for eight hours, play a hit, right? Apparently, he he lay down on the stage and he was like face level with Jerry, and he goes, he takes the mic away, and he's like, "How long have I been on?" And Jerry lied and was like five minutes, and he was like five minutes. <laughs> it had been like fifteen, but right. he had to do like you right. know thirty, forty. Yeah. I don't yeah, know what yeah. it was. Um, and I, I I was I was already I had left. But eventually, he just walked off the stage, off into the crowd, oh <laughs> just my God. abandoned his band and stuff. So it's such a yes, shame. Yes, God, he's still a drug casualty. God, it is. But it, you know what? It is a shame because you hear these stories. I I was watching something, and again, maybe in the research I was doing about you, that like I think GNR's first record deal, they got paid seventy five thousand dollars. Yeah, which in today's world would have been you know. Eight million or ten million, whatever, right? But so, like, it's crazy to think that people were signing these deals, and so an eighteen-year, like, it's not even legal. I don't think to sign like deals like that. But no. you know, people definitely took advantage of what was going on back then, and so, so at a certain point, that happens, and then you end up getting this. There's an open, oh yeah, to, yeah, to write so, this cover story. Right? I was like doing all this stuff. And, uh, you know, doing as much writing as I could and dying to do something bigger. I'd done Q&As. I had a column called Raves, which was like 
sign of the times because it wasn't about electronic music. It was about <laughs> um, like artists would talk about their favorite things. I did that. I had oh. the charts page in the back. I would do the occasional Q and A, or you know stuff for like the movie issue, the fashion issue, whatever. Um, and I had a friend uh, in L.A. who sent me a tape of Eminem freestyling on the Wake Up Show because he just thought I'd like it. And I was like the green assistant who ran into the music editor and was like, this guy's going to be famous. And, you know, it was like, please let me write about him. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it was because he was just like he was signed. He he had done some stuff on raucous records. Like I had heard him before just, you know, on some underground, you know, backpacker hip hop stuff. But he did a couple freestyles that were like pretty sick. And uh, my friend and I were both, you know, into the same kind of thing. So he, he literally sent me a cassette, Sign of the Times as well. Yeah. Um, and so I told my music editor and he was like, oh, he thought he thought it was adorable. Right. He was just like, you know, we don't really write about unsigned rappers. This is Rolling Stone. We barely write about hip hop. Right. And but, you know, two years later, signed by Dr. Dre, it's 1999 now. And um, he basically said, you know, OK, my name is video was out. It was all over MTV back when they played music yeah and he said okay i'm gonna let you write 400 words on this video because it's like crazy people are going nuts and then uh then they got the numbers for what it was going to do the first week which again people used to buy records and that was a big deal and he you know he could have given it i mean to his credit he could have given it to a more experienced writer um it was in an early early issue in the year which are usually slim so maybe he's like eh, it'll take a risk on this kid and i was busting my butt i was doing like five columns and all this stuff so he just was like hey here's your big break don't fuck it up oh can i curse yeah yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> he was this like is, uh, this is the internet we can do whatever we want here. yeah he was um, like he was like don't fuck it up you're going to detroit good luck amazing and and i'm, I'm assuming you were incredibly nervous had you met a lot oh, yeah. of like rock stars stars at that point or was it or not really you were sort of you were stuck with like the fastballs of the world and the i mean that i was i had done i had done random notes okay so random notes was like the party section i'd been doing that for two years too um i think yeah was i doing right yes i was doing random notes at the time i just i just started doing that bit six months earlier um which is like super that's kind of a prestigious thing to get like cameron crowe did it yeah um Kurt Loder did it. I was super psyched. And that's the only part of Rolling Stone that you could kind of be snarky, which I enjoy any chance to kind of be yeah. a wise ass. Um, and you cover parties and it's and it's really fun. So I've been doing that for not too long um, and was gearing up to cover the Grammys for the first time, which is like the biggest thing that the, the random notes person have to, has to do every year. Yeah. Um, and then the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. We'll come back in just a moment and talk about your first cover story up into the fact that you just wrote the book, right? The book just came out. When did the book just come out? The second Eminem. So second Eminem book out now. And uh, we'll be back in just a moment with Anthony. Two seconds. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, guys, we are back. Yeah. Um, did you watch the Grammys, by the way? I, uh, do you mean the Oscars? Yeah, sorry. Or you know what? <laughs> I don't know what day. There's so many award shows in L.A. I, yeah. Did you watch the Oscars? Uh, the Oscars. I got to say, the Oscars is the only one I always watch. You do? Okay. I always watch did the Oscars. Did you like it? The Grammys, I don't care about anymore. I mean, you know, I you know, I really did. I thought it was a good show. Yeah. I mean, I know it was like the least viewed ever, but yeah. I thought it was pretty entertaining. I like the no host thing because... You get a lot of opportunities to see different people up there. Definitely. Um, I was excited to see Steve Martin. My uh, 15-year-old self was like, Saturday Night Live. They were funny. He and Chris were great. I thought that was pretty good. You know, the the Oscars clearly is having some sort of, uh, I mean, they're having like, it's not really an identity crisis. They're just sort of like, I don't know. I think they're controlled. There's a great article, I think, in the Nate, I forget 
National Review. It was a National Review about how like Twitter has changed the Oscars yeah. and like they're really it's too self conscious. Well, that's <laughs> what Chris Rock was saying. He's like, "There's no Which host because everyone has a Twitter." Someone has made a tweet at some point that yeah. was like a bit controversial. But this is your second book on Eminem, M&M, yes, which is great. And so I actually heard this great story about the first time you met him was in a bathroom. I think yep. I believe he was throwing up. Yep. You want to tell that story? It's sure. A story, so. That was so. You know, when I did my first cover story, like we were saying before, I'd done small articles with people, um, met some, you know, some some of the big ones. But if I'm doing random notes, it's like a quick thing, a lot of phone stuff. Uh, I'd done a few in person things, um, but I hadn't had a. You know, this is like I'm this spending. Is your big break. Yeah, I'm spending yeah. like significant amount of time. I'm going to be in New York, going to shows with this person. I'm going to Detroit. All of it. Now are they flying you first class, just out of curiosity for this, mm, or are you in a? No, I was next to Eminem in economy. He was in economy too? Yeah. Really? He had not gotten any of his money from Interscope yet. Okay. He had an eviction notice on his door. Wow. When we got to his trailer, still in a trailer with Kim. He was yeah. living in a trailer. He was living in a trailer. Oh. He didn't really have any apartment at that time. He had a trailer that he had gotten for his mom who didn't pay the rent. And there was literally a pink slip on the door when we got there. And I've, you know, I it wasn't faked. It really wasn't. Which um, which the process of writing with someone like that, and, and again, I know it's it's uh it's about I, again I'm sort of referencing things that I've heard before, but it don't, almost like it's like dating and courting, right? You have to make someone trust you. You have to make someone sort of make sure that you know they can put their faith in your hands, especially if you're going to be their voice in a book, right? So walk me through your first meeting with him and and how that went, and like because he's you know he can it seems like he's a bit of a hard guy in terms of like his. Yes. exterior not the salt you know the warm fuzzy type unless i'm sort of misreading no something. no no not uh, you know he's very private yeah. um it's a blue collar kid from detroit you know so was it a detroit, good first meeting how bullshit. was it like did you wine and dine him was there uh <laughs> did you bring him sh- chocolates what what happened god i showed up at the uh at paul rosenberg his manager's first office and Walked in, um, and there's no. There was a, a conference room where I was told to wait, and there's no one in there except for uh, the big security guard, the one who actually ended up writing a tell-all about Eminem. And I was like, "Well, you know, where's?" Where? He's like, "Yeah, they're in Paul's office." He's like, "Oh, but Marshall's in there," and he points to this other door. So I thought it was another room. So I go in there, and it's a bathroom. <laughs> it's like a couple stalls, and I just hear him completely barfing, just retching. And it was one of those situations where I opened the door and the door like automatically shut. And then it was like dead silence. And he paused for a second. And I was like, oh, God. OK, so he knows I'm in here. And now I'm in here. Do you go in. Do you exactly. Not go in? What do you do? What do I do? Yeah. <clears throat> and then so he gets up, flushes the toilet, comes out of the stall and looks at me. And I'm just I mean, I'm like, hey, uh, you know, I'm, Anthony, I'm introducing myself. And he just looks at me and burps. And leaves. <laughs> it's like this is oh a great person. God, it also smelled. <laughs> so it was like, uh. Um, so he had done his photo shoot for the cover with David LaChapelle, and uh, David LaChapelle. He was like, the cover was supposed to be him naked, holding a giant um, stick of dynamite, like Bugs Bunny style, over his junk. That ended up going inside because we had some conservative advertisers who freaked out. Right. So he, you know, told me later he'd like never been around. You know, like David LaChapelle studios was famous it's just like drag queens and craziness and so he got really nervous and and drank like a whole fifth of Bacardi 
like on an empty stomach and that's why he was puking. Um, so I, I, after that, I sat in this conference room and then when it was time to go, I got in a limo with uh, Stretch Armstrong, who's DJing for him at the time, yeah. and everyone to do these promo shows. And um, Eminem didn't talk to me for the first 24 hours. We, we Which is always weird. I met people like that and you're like, how do you... Uh, it was so strange. Yeah, I was like, I was like, like I'm screwed. Really yeah. yeah, I was like, I'm going to lose my job. Yeah. I'm going to just answer phones forever yeah. at Rolling Stone. So we draw, you know, we he just keeps looking at me though and he's, he was checking me out the whole night. And then, so right after this, we go, and we stop somewhere. Now, do you try and say hello and engage with him, or he just sort of? I, just he was on the even... other side of the limo. It was a okay. big stretch limo. It was like Paul Rosenberg, the bodyguard. Paul's a giant dude. The yeah. bodyguard's a giant dude. Stretch Armstrong's like six four. He's skinny though. So you we don't even just, try and engage with him. It, just like he and Stretch are on the other side of the car, and I was like sand, like sandwiched against the window next to these two massive, you know, okay. humans. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm just kind of like. I'm slow shit. What's yeah. going to happen here? So, you know, we kind of pull away and then we pull up and this guy comes knocking on the window and I was like, well, I didn't really know what to do. And this is the only time Eminem really interacted with me. He kicked me in the leg and handed me money. And I was like, <laughs> and then went and like, you know, made a gesture with his head and I'm like, Oh, okay. This is a drug deal. So, oh, right. I put the window down. I wouldn't and, even know. I thought it was, could have been a homeless person. I, I had know. no idea. The guy was yeah. like getting angry and All knocking right, on right. the window and I'm like, um, hi. And so I give him the money. And he puts like a pile of, of ecstasy pills in my hand, capsules. And I give it back to him and he and Stretch start, <laughs> you know, it's like doing, doing their thing. Yeah. And Paul Rosenberg and I've talked to, you know, no, known Paul ever since and talked to him over over the years. And I was like, he's telling me the truth. Was any of the, he's like, none of it was set up. We were way too fucking disorganized for this. So Paul got was furious with him and he's like, great job, Marshall. You just let the Rolling Stone reporter literally buy drugs for you. <laughs> fuck you you're on your own and he got out and called himself his own car for the rest of the night he's like i'm not being a part of this and did that make it into the article oh it's all it's all in the article i literally put every single thing that happened to me in that do you it's like almost famous if you guys have seen that movie. it was like almost famous. so did you at that point you know are you worried that if you do like sort of this tell all that he's gonna turn against you because you obviously develop these rapports with these guys where you go on then to write books with them and all the guys that you've written books with whether it be Tommy Lee whether it be Slack a lot of them you're still very friendly with yeah I know that you're very friendly with Tommy because I just all the time from knowing you and whatever yeah Um, and he's because I've met him before and he actually when I went to his house once it's just a funny story like I never met him and and you relate to the story you know, he's whatever, whatever he is, six foot two, right? He opens yeah. up the door in the valley and, you know, he, and he was like my childhood idol as a drummer growing up. And he's like, dude, come in and hugs me. I was like, I don't even know this guy. But I was like, great. This is all, like, it's yeah. like we're friends and I never met him before. And um, he has that thing about him. But a lot of these guys you go on to like, whether it be live with or yeah. cohabitat with them in a way that like they want you to really understand who they are. So right. does that happen with Eminem? M, so, so you know, the rest of the night was he played all these promo gigs, one of which was a, a Sweet 16 in Staten Island for some mobster's daughter. That was, I'll never forget that. That was insane. Um, because he needed the money. He'd laid, they had booked all these things, and you know, I think it was like 5000 in appearance uh, to do like three songs. And he literally needed the money because he hadn't gotten his Interscope money yet. Yeah. The album was just starting to sell, you know. So anyway, um, he the whole night he's rapping, and he still doesn't talk to me. But the next day when we got on the plane, he sort of, you know, like opened up and he decided to sit next to me, made Paul move, sat next to me. And we just started talking. And, you know, we talked about like 
just growing up, parents divorced and shit like that, you know, just bonded on normal human stuff. Um, the truth is a lot of these guys really are shielded, so they don't have a lot of friends. Like I know I work yeah. with and know so many celebrities I've been friendly with over the years, and, and you'd be surprised and people would be surprised at how many of them are so lonely because they're so insulated that they don't they have like a handful of friends. So yeah. I don't know I mean, how he M, is, but that's M now is very much that. I think he yeah. talks to like seven people. Yeah, and it's like of course you're gonna be weird if you don't talk to people during the day and you don't trust anyone. He right? was so. he was more out there then, but um but yeah, so anyway, somewhere during that flight he just decided he he t- yeah, turned around to and you. told Paul he's like, This guy's gonna interview my mom and that's Amazing. it. So I'm the only one that that he allowed to do that. And we just, you know, we found some common friends. ground, and 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 that was it. And uh, so now I you're just on your decided, second book. Right? I decided to put all the stuff in the article. Yeah, I was like, you know, I mean, Slim Shady LP is pulls no punches. Yeah, it's yeah, like definitely. He's not shy about like doing drugs and being ridiculous. And I just put it all in there. So yeah, and so, they loved it. <laughs> so, so now, fast forward, you're on your second book with yes. him, right? And so obviously, you have this incredible trust level with him. And why do you think that is? You think you guys just really bonded after the first book was successful? You're like now nah, because I know. mean, it's a unique they, they let the thing with the first book was, you know, eight mile came out. He kind of told his story that way. And I wanted to do the book because I just I felt like I had a unique perspective. And they basically said, we're going to give you everything you need, but it's not going to be like a co-written autobiography. Right. Because you know, what I do is either a biography or a co-write with the person, which is a whole different process. So those guys, you know, they they let me interview, do some do some more interviews if I needed them. Um, I had a ton of stuff because I'd done two cover stories with them and spent a lot of time with them um, back when he was like more willing to hang out with people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had plenty of stuff, and that's what that book was. Um, this one is totally different. Like he's basically, you know, he's he's eleven, twelve years sober. His whole entire world is just down to like a few people. He decided he doesn't really want to do press or interviews anymore sort of you know midway through our process so it was like a very like different you do every interview for this book i'm not doing any more interviews it was like you know this was it was i wanted to write about this sort of second half of his career because i feel like the media loved him for a while and then really kind of turned Turned on him and people i was just getting sick of people saying like you know his albums are trash just because they don't like what he's saying like technically he's the most talented rapper out there. I yeah. just say he's better than he was before. Like in terms of technical ability, it's you know it's kind of breathtaking sometimes what he can do, and his rhyme structures are so complicated now that his mind is clear and all that. And I was just kind of tired. I mean, a lot of the reason why I wanted to do it too was that I was sick of. I just feel like music journalism has changed so much, and mm-hmm. I could go on about this forever, yeah. but it's 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 because it has to be faster yeah a lot of it everything um, has to be i mean it, we live in this like add society but but you know, everything you do it's interesting anthony and, and not to sort of digress from that but i feel like you have a very unique perspective because you sort of even the tommy lee book at some point you can tell the story about how someone said this book should be written from the perspective of yeah his his know. dong <laughs> right <which laughs> that is, was like which well, is weird right so well, that's I, a weird thing yeah know, so that was weird, like you know. a joke i i when i was getting ready to go out to move to LA to hang out with him um I was hanging out with some friends and you know uh the Motley Crue book was out and I was just like asking them like you know what do you guys know Tommy Lee for besides you know Motley Crue and everybody's like sex tape big dick using it to honk a horn on a boat and I was like (laughs) so on the ride out there uh, on the flight out there between like dozing off I was like thought it would really be funny if 
his uh, his penis argued with him about who's more famous. Right. Because <laughs> those are the two that. things just, he's known for. I was for. thinking, wow, this is a wild perspective, right? And uh, yeah, so that, I mean, that whole, just to jump to that story, um, you know, I went out there and, and, and was set up and Tommy was like in, he was supposed to be there and uh, was away for two weeks. Like the first two weeks I was in LA, like he was like, he'd gone to Mexico. He was just like partying with people. No one people. told you, yeah. No one really told me. He was with um, Sean in like some remote island. Or... He didn't even know Sean. <laughs> okay. Sean wouldn't even know him if it wasn't for me. <laughs> um, it's true. And so... Uh, anyway, so he was like in Mexico um, with a you know a, a rich friend of his, and anyway he came back and I was I finally was up there and I was all this is my first co-written book you yeah. know I just finished the Eminem book it wasn't even published yet that was a whole ordeal this was the first time I was going to be like you know now I've jumped the fence from you know being an interviewer yeah because what you were saying before either you do develop a trust with people or old school interviewers also had the thing of like. I'm watching you. I'm right, asking you right. hard questions. Right, right, right. And then it's that sort of conflict thing. Yeah. And that's a kind of trust and bond too. That's like the two styles of, of interviews, old school interviews that I, I think are yeah. good. And no they question. usually get the honesty out of people. So anyway, this is the first time I'm sort of jumping the fence and now I'm like, I'm on your team. I'm here to make you look good. Let's figure this out. Yeah. So I was being all professional and had all these ideas and Tommy is like 11 a.m. And I was, he's like, oh, do you want something to drink? And I was like, yeah, I'll have a nice tea. And then he, he's like, I'll be right back. Comes back with iced tea, lemonade, and a giant trough and three bottles of flavored vodka and just puts it down. He's like, I don't know, man. They were in the ice chest, you know? And I'm like, all right. <laughs> Which I, is exactly how he is when you know him. He's so just how like he a is. giant kid. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh. So um, that started. So he started drinking. And then I was like, he was... Like, again, I'm explaining all my shit, and he's just, like, looking around at birds and shit, and I'm like, this guy's not even listening to me. So I'm like, you know what I really want to do? I want to have your dick be a character, and I want your dick to argue with you about who made all the decisions in your life, really. And he, like, looks at me, like, stops, and he looks at me, and then he we're out by the pool, and uh, he literally, he picked me up in the chair and threw me in the pool. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh fuck, is he gonna beat me up? <laughs> like, what's happening? And then, then he jumped in after me, and like we both sort of came up to the surface. And he looked at me, he's like, it's gonna be a great summer, dude. I fucking love it. And like hugged me, and that was it. Amazing. So then, it, then the whole goal was like, let's take apart every element of what it is to do a co-written autobiography. Like I'm in the footnotes reporting when Tommy's wrong, (laughs) which is like another funny element rather than just correcting it. And then we had like a British editor who didn't get a lot of the American humor. And Tommy was looking over my shoulder while I'm like answering his edit notes. He's like, what? who's saying that that's a stupid question so then he was so funny about it that i started like writing down what he said that's right right. and then we had that in there and then the penis interrupts and it was like no dude dude, i saw her first like that (laughs) kind of shit through the whole book so it's super fun yeah you're such a great uh well because a lot of what you do these co-writes obviously in such such an interesting perspective i never get to play hard rock on a show because truth is we're sort of on this pop alternative rock station but I feel like now would be a great time to jump to Dr. Feelgood because we're talking Dude. about Motley Crue. they got a huge tour it's gonna coming It's going to be out. the biggest tour this summer. Biggest tour of the summer. Might be the only time I'll ever get to play Motley Crue on the radio. Do it. Um, so let's jump to Dr. Feelgood and come back and talk. Uh, I want to talk Mick Fleetwood let's for a moment. It. And I definitely want to talk about Slash because there's no way we're getting out of here without talking about Guns no, N' Roses. That'd be bad. Also and, uh, a big tour. <laughs> big tour, too. Yeah. So uh, we'll be back in just a second with Anthony Bozo. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, we're back. A couple quick other stories because there's so many. Listen, you have so many books you've written. I'll come back. There's, come back. <laughs> I mean, there's two. obviously there's 
There's Mick Fleetwood stories. Yep. There's obviously Slash stories, right? Slash stories. So um, why don't we? T- and because I'm not even gonna get into all the you've done all the sports stuff, Derek Jeter. You done yeah. ACDC would be great. But are there a couple other stories that sort of resonate with you that are like, hey, when I was writing the because because again, your perspective has always been like you actually get into the mind of these people, you live with them, and then in some cases, right? Yeah, most. I mean, the ones that I really kind of bond with, like the best. I feel like if you really most the best. The best books I've done are I spent a lot of time with them. Yeah, well, you lived with Tommy, for instance, for and, a year. And, and I, don't I know, know every time I'm he wanted lived. to talk about Motley Crue, he made you do like Jägermeister shots or something. Yeah, so or ha- Jack. Yeah, so half that other. book is probably like a blur to you, right? Yes. Well, uh, I, I couldn't leave. I had an apartment that was part of my contract that was like you know in Santa Monica, and he lived in um, like a canyon above Malibu at the time. And I just to get through like a normal day of interviewing, I was way too hammered to drive a car, exactly. and I'd end up spending. You know, he's like after I'd be there for five days because i was never sober enough to just get the hell out of there and get some new clothes he'd be like i look at all these free clothes i got dude you don't need them i was just and then eventually he's like i don't think i want to pay for your apartment anymore buddy he's like i haven't had a male roommate in a long time let's do this shit it was i mean he's you've met him he's yeah He's just a bundle of joy. Yeah. Fast forward, you're still living with him now, like 10 years later. <laughs> no, yeah. but, uh, he doesn't know it. I'm stalking him. I'm yeah. in a tool shed. So you work with, obviously, somebody. You can't let these people know that they're sort of, some in some cases, your childhood idols. But like you ended up working with Mick Fleetwood. Yeah. Obviously, we spoke about Derek Jeter, ACDC, Slash. So which ones of these kind of really resonate with you? And which are these books now, right? Some of them are years yep. later. Really like, hey, there was the time... This happened with Slash, or, or whether it happened with Mick Fleetwood, that really sort of resonates still in your memory, and that you really hold like fond memories about, yeah, or not I mean, so fond memories, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Tommy, I lived with Tommy Lee for near for nine months. That yeah. will, oh, that's like I'll never forget that. He's one of my best friends, and that yeah. was incredible. And and some somehow I times, made it out alive. Yeah, and some fun uh, times. I everything's that. intact yeah. on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was incredible. Slash was, you know, what I loved so much about Slash was that. You know, his a public perception, especially when Guns is around, is just you know completely wasted. Just amazing guitar player. How is he pulling this off? But that guy is super committed to what he does. And when he like got his head around it and sort of we built a trust, he was super into it. I yeah. mean, he'd just gotten sober, so we we would meet at mid from midnight to four a.m. three days a week. That's like, the only time that you guys did work. Most of the time, yeah, there'd be some daytime stuff, but he used to, right before he got fully clean, he was hanging out, uh, he would put his kids to bed, wife would go to bed, and then from like midnight to four, he would go down to his little sort of recording studio hang area and like do drugs and jam on guitar and record some things just for himself. So he basically filled that time that he wasn't doing anymore with me and talking. Um, and we used to play, uh, we actually, the guitar hero that he's featured in had just come out. So we used to play that. And one of my fondest memories is, uh, is beating Slash's ass as himself. <laughs> but <laughs> at Guitar Hero. Yeah, Guitar yeah. Hero. Of course, dude. I were can't. you playing Guns N' Roses or, or were you um, playing something else? We're doing Motley. And I remember he's like, I could play the song really. Like, it was really funny watching him get frustrated. But here's what kind of worth, work ethic this guy has. He went on a snowboarding vacation with the kids. Brought that with him and was gone for like two weeks. And when we came back, he was like amazing. 
and I couldn't beat him. And I was like, oh my well, god. Well, he's a musical genius, so obviously he's. But I mean, Guitar Hero is nothing like actually Definitely. playing the song. I'm I can't play drums at Guitar Hero to save my life. I'm terrible yeah. at it. But I don't really think it's like playing the instrument. If, if I have to, st- no, it's nothing. If like I have playing to speak from the musician standpoint. Yeah, it's not. I can't. I don't even know where the correlation is between playing an instrument and Guitar Hero because I find them completely different. It it is. It's like that's Tetris. what he was. It's like super, Tetris or something yeah. weird. Some. It's like guy. Simon. Yeah, it's know? like Simon exactly. He was that's what he was super mad at. <laughs> so you um, beat him. Were you playing like Girls 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 or what what was the song? I forget which Motley song it is. I think it's Kickstart Your Heart. Okay. Great song. Maybe. Uh I don't remember which one is featured in there. But anyway, it was funny to like be playing like and we were both playing his little avatar. Yeah, <laughs> it's like slash playing his own avatars. And you went on tour um, with him when he was in what Double Revolver? Because yes. he wasn't in guns by the when you were writing that book with him, right? No, yeah. not at all. Um I mean and I mean there's so many moments like I would say the stuff with Slash, just him he's just so damn cool. Yeah. Like he embodies the coolness. Definitely. You know, like and like showing up at his house uh, at midnight and he's like it in a robe that says slash from like a Japanese tour and a big towel, like turban With the on hat his head. On, he's right? like, no, he had like a turban. He's like, come on in, man. Like he's just the <laughs> coolest dude. Yeah. So, I mean, just the memories of honestly, like he really was committed to every detail and going through like every element of that story. And to me, you know, he had never really done interviews. He didn't like doing that stuff. Yeah. I still and don't think so, he loves doing them. He seems still no. a bit uncomfortable when he's doing them. Like, he doesn't really want to be there, you know. So. This was kind of the start of, of getting him to do that. And I remember, like, you know, hearing, um, like, it was like six months later, he started doing more, like, TV stuff and everything. And he kind of told me that, you know, this process was really, really good for him. And it, and it made him do that more. But honestly, just having i just never uh, i was just so you know happy and proud with every session because this is somebody who'd never told all this is like absolutely amazing life yeah so i was that's a pretty incredible story right i mean people people don't know the story it's like 400 pages but yeah one of the greatest rock and roll stories ever yeah and still one of the biggest bands ever i think their tour was still at this point i think it's the second biggest or largest grossing uh rock tour of all time at yeah, this point which it was is crazy insane it was like I, 140 million yeah and, and I, he had you know the thing that really made me proud is that he had met with uh like seven different writers over the years before that and he's just like nope 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 and i was like for yes. some reason you guys connected but again why do you think that people trust you with is it the fact that you are you wanting and dining them are no. you making is there a, is there a dating process to there, how you some... get familiar with them how does it happen because yeah these guys have to say you know what i met with six or seven other writers I know that you've done, a, you know, Rolling Stone cover stories and you've a, a bunch of books that have done incredibly well. Some of them New York Times bestsellers, but there's something that's making them trust you because I know that process in just interviewing people now. And obviously you have your own it's podcast, tough. which we, yeah. we should talk about. Yeah. Um, but the process of getting people to open up isn't always easy. No, it's it's hard. Um, Slash, I know for a fact, because uh, he he told a mutual friend and uh, that he decided to do the book with me because we spent seven hours talking the first time we met for this reason. And I was the only person who did not ask about guns and roses or Axl Rose. And that's why he decided to do it because he started talking about his childhood. We were in the sunset, the uh, Roosevelt, no, the sunset, the sunset towers. Yeah. That hotel that overlooks the strip. And we were overlooking and he started telling stories looking out at the strip just about his childhood and how Seymour Cassell, you know, RIP who just, he was the one who named him slash and how like there was a house where, you know, he and Polanski grew pot and all this stuff. And I was just like riveted, fascinated. 
and we talked all about his childhood, and I didn't even ask about his guys. mom was a costume designer, I yeah. believe, right? And she designed for Sly Stone, I think, to all yep. these other and people. And she did like yeah. did stuff for Ringo Starr and John Lennon. Yeah. She did all the costumes for The Man Who Fell to Earth. She had an affair with David Bowie, and like it's it just amazing, amazing shit, like amazing shit. So that I was riveted. So that did it there. I mean, it's hard to get people's trust. You know, yeah. you got to like approach them as a human. We were again. Talk, if we you want to go back to research? I tell everyone, do your research. Just yeah. know everything. Totally. <laughs> we were we were talking before you got here, and I I unfortunately can't mention the name, but there was a guy that I interviewed quite recently who definitely knows super well. That as soon as he walked in, he was like, "I do not want to talk about the past." And 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 you know, there was like twenty five years of iconic rock stuff there. That that's kind of what people wanted to know about. So I was that's like, "Wow, annoying. how do I pivot with my?" you know 17 hours of research here because there really wasn't like a huge amount to talk about in terms of where things were going at that point so that has that ever happened to you when you sit with people and they don't want because i know we we touched base on it but tommy didn't want to talk about motley slash yeah. didn't want to talk about guns and roses i mean essentially this is definitely what people want to hear about sometimes yeah. right it's like i talk to artists all the time about you know a lot of them are playing these shows and people are paying a thousand dollars a ticket and they don't want to play the hits and i'm like no offense, but not to be rude, but I mean, people don't care that you played that song for 10 years. Like, that's one of the things that have made you successful. So, that's what they're paying for. Yeah. I mean, I, I, to be fair, you know, you should probably find a happy medium there where you do your artistic, you know, your artistic vision is, is intact and you can do your new stuff. But people also always want to go back to the fact that, that those are the memories that they hold and, and those are the things that resonate with them the most. So it's tough. I mean, you know, if I was in that, position i'm trying to think that's definitely happened during my rolling stone career but um i think that like who was the worst can you say like the I'm worst interview you ever did well i did yeah i mean the most disappointing i don't really i mean bob weir was was kind of yeah. a jerk uh, yeah. when people are a jerk it's so disappointing right it was it's i like, was also like super young and right. green and we were doing a that, that same summer issue that the sly stone story happened uh it was like your first summer job was one of the questions just you know it's like one of those yeah. feel-good magazine yeah, yeah. pieces that were sure when there were magazines yeah. they used to have room for when right. people advertised and right. you know people read them when they weren't listening to podcasts yeah so yeah. uh i mean there's still lots of like fluffy clickbait stuff like that still done yeah. so anyway i think i asked him that and he was like you know it's it's the grateful dead this is rolling stone magazine not many other places are covering the Grateful Dead. Like right. they've had a long term, really long relationship. Yeah. So he was just like super angry that I was even asking that. He's like, "Well, you know, I had like one job, and then I've been in the Grateful Dead. Like, are you even aware of that?" I'm like, "Yeah, dude. <laughs> I think so I know. I've been what to band. a lot of shows, yeah. actually. I, I think I know what band phase. you played in. <laughs> so that was kind of mean. Um, I'm trying to think of who else was like really." bad interview. it's just disappointing right it's when just sometimes are just not cool like why right what uh, sometimes so people are having cool a, to people yeah sometimes yeah. people are having a bad day but um and was any, you, did anybody really surprise you or you were like wow you know i really didn't go into this interview thinking actually, this person would be great and you know what we're like great friends now we holiday together um uh, besides tommy lee i mean mick fleetwood is yeah. like the greatest yeah i want to know about him because the obviously <laughs> there's, there's very few people i don't know now because i feel like there's been this Fleetwood Mac sort of revival. Even yeah. people like Harry Styles, obviously, they're referencing Fleetwood Mac, and he's performing yeah. with Stevie Nicks. And and you know what? Good on you. The fact that they're having this incredible resurgence because they're incredible. And so I'd love to know. I I never met Mick Fleetwood. Like, what's he like? Is oh he great? Oh my is god! Because like, I could picture him being like 
not great, but you're saying the opposite. Like I, he's in my fantastic. mind, I was like, maybe he's not that nice, but he's great. No, he is absolutely fantastic. I mean, he won't do anything he doesn't want to do, and right. he, you know, he like he's you know he's getting older. Mm. But Mick Fleetwood, I tell everyone that if um, just I just say he is the classic rock version of Gandalf. Lord of Amazing. the Rings. That's he, what he's he, like. was, he was on your podcast. We should talk he about was. your podcast. He your was. podcast basically pairs wine with rock stars and you talk about yeah. pairings of music and wine and whatnot. It's either people in the music world. I mean, it's it can be anybody, but basically somebody comes, it's called Winyl, yeah. uh, like wine and vinyl, and somebody picks an, a record that changed their life or an artist, a musical artist. And I work with um, some great wine buyers in California called Wine Exchange. Um, they're amazing guy kyle meyer he's like huge music nerd and a genius of wine buying and tasting because you're super passionate about wine oh my god i love wine (laughs) um so you know so anyway kyle and i the person picks a record or an artist and then kyle and i pick a wine that would go perfectly with it and then we talk about what that album means to the person and you know then the making of this wine and I asked them if they think we got it right and, uh, so and it's really Mick fun. Mick Fleet would like a great guest on the show? Mick is great. See, I, from, I got to stay with him for a while on his like farm in Maui. Oh, I right. mean, that's another moment I'm like, I'd like walk out of the guest cabin on the, on the hillside all the way up on the crater in Maui with mist and like wild, you know, pheasant running around because it used lord to be... Lord of the Rings or something? Yeah, or something it used like to be owned by like an English lord and right. there's pheasant to hunt there around and stuff. And I'm, li- I'm in a log cabin that was built in 71 from, you know, trees on the property with my wood burning stove. And I'm does just he have like, a drum set there? Does he even play? Oh yeah, he does. Okay. He, it's like a the big the house is really funky and super cool. Like the main room is his jam room, and like Willie Nelson comes up and plays all the time. And now Steven Tyler. I was going to say I know Steven pretty street. well, and I know yeah Steven they hang out a lot. Yeah, they always do these jams and benefits and yeah. And, and Steve, Steven, for me, is my spirit animal. He's the oh, coolest guy I've ever. He's super cool. He's the greatest. I mean, you should write his book. I would love to think he did one. I, I think, but another one or something. He was the greatest. I, I interviewed him when I was at Rolling Stone, and he. Uh, we had to continue the interview. This is, you know, this is what a real professional is. He had to do something. We had to continue the interview. He could have blown it off, but he didn't. I was like, well, I'm going to, is it okay if I go home? He's like, yeah, get out of that office, man. So I was like, so he (laughs) called me at home and he called like just before me, before I got there. Um, And this is answering machine day. So I still have the tape and he, you know, my thing clicks in. He's singing. He goes, just like does that (laughs) whole thing. He's like, what a cool name, man. Double Z's. And I was just like, you're awesome. I think that (laughs) he's the coolest guy. He's the coolest guy ever. But I think that he has. <clears throat> Sorry, I have to clear my throat here. I think that he has um, some of the same spiels because obviously my last name is Lips, and whenever oh, I would did he see do him, that? he would say to me, "You know, my last, you know, like Lips, that should be my last name." And I was like, it "Well, should it's be, of his, you know." But um, <laughs> that's he, true. He's called me sometimes from like a block number, and then I pick up, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" Like the the ten year old in me is still like Stephen Tyler's actually calling me from a block number. Yeah, and that I've stuff had, like, doesn't go. Away. I once had like a thirty minute conversation with him on the phone. I was like, "This is the weirdest day ever." Um, it was for his charity. He, you know, he has Janie's fund, so yeah. he was uh, raising awareness, and we were talking about his event and whatnot. But um, yeah, so many great stories. Obviously, yeah, congrats on the Eminem book. Thanks. Check out your podcast. Right? Yeah, we're about to do season two. Um, Mick Fleetwood, the Mick Fleetwood episode will be on there. Maybe um, you can come on the show again with Mick Fleetwood because I, I mean, that could that be, would cool, be great, right? Yeah, I'll bring Dude. like wine or something. That could be cool. Be great. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell only, you what he likes. If you're on it, he might be like, yeah, I'll do it because you know Anthony's on the show. So. Yeah. Then he'll feel comfortable. You got you need that comfortability thing. Yeah, so. 
we had a great episode. We basically went through rock and roll from the 50s through the 70s with three different types of wine. And Amazing. he just like, you know, just pontificated on what it was like playing like, you know, blues bars in 67 with Peter Green. It was incredible. Awesome. But you had to do that in Hawaii. or did, No, no. We did that thing? in his hotel when when Mac was playing here. Oh, very um, cool. Okay. Like. La- it's a, it's yeah, a couple of months ago. Amazing, it was a while ago. Yeah. Cool. But what's on the horizon? Obviously, the Eminem book. Yep. Eminem book about, came out. We spoke about the Oscars, so we we touched base on that. And what do you got going on the rest of the year? I'm sure I've, always projects. Um, yes, I've got two things. Uh, two things that are proposals that will be going out. Um, one I can it, is Jerry Harrison from the Talking Heads, amazing. which I'm very excited about. And the other one is so that would be a Talking Heads book or Jerry Harrison Jerry's book, right? memoir oh, about being amazing. in the Talking Heads and the Modern Lovers. Great, amazing. People forget that he was in yeah. the Modern Lovers, one yeah, of like yeah. the quintessential you know proto punk bands. Definitely. So um, kind of the precursor to the Strokes. A bit. in a lot of ways yeah. absolutely and especially yeah. like if you listen to like parquet courts and the people mm-hmm. who've copied the strokes yeah. they're going a little more retro Definitely. than the strokes yeah, yeah for sure and the other person i'm working with is raekwon from the wu-tang clan very cool which is so dope some, some haven't even i haven't even announced that anywhere on my social media amazing so, so maybe 10 new york times bestsellers by the time i hope so all is said and I, done. raekwon's stories are amazing well you got <laughs> oh great stories i thought i had good stories and then just to hear you like because once you're writing books with people and every you oh my every, job is yeah. to get the story that's it, so I right? just have a well of them in my pocket definitely you know? there are other people's but they're good yeah, great <laughs> and, and your podcast is obviously something you're pretty passionate about yeah so. it's really it's called Winal. Um season one is up there uh, there was a bit of a break but um, we're gonna have season two up I mean in a couple months who's on season two have you um, done it yet or yeah no I have half of it done I wanna what I did last time I mean you know podcasts you sort of learn as you go yeah I'm still um, learning I don't know what I'm doing right now yeah I'm getting all of it done all of it edited it and then releasing it regularly because okay. I had sort of a I hired a guy you know whatever it doesn't matter you, not you, a very good sound person by the way you gotta do stuff yourself because it's just like you know we've all I've actually did just to digress for one second I did one incredible episode with a band that was really hard to get on the show and then like Who a couple it? days I don't even want to say because they don't know the story but <laughs> so diplomatic then, yeah then a couple days later the engineer was like um I think there was like a problem with the mic. I was like, what, what do you mean a problem with the mic? He's like, well, we can't really use the interview. I'm like, I can't call them again and do the interview. Like, you got to <laughs> fix it. But he wasn't able to salvage it. So Oof, there, there, is a, there is a couple episodes that are not online. And, oh, you know, that you stinks. Probably figure it out. But, but anyway. Yeah, what I'm going to, so far I've got, um, we've got half of them done. Got Alex Skolnick from Testament. Cool. Um, cool. And the Alex Skolnick trio. He's yeah. like a whole jazz thing that's incredible. Uh, Fleetwood. Um, oh, so Mix hasn't been up yet. No, it's not up All yet. Right. So we'll have I'm to wait excited. if we do hours to post it like a month later. There know, you go. In the podcast world. Uh, I've got the guy, the founder of Big Gay Ice Cream. Very cool. <laughs> Doug yeah, Quinn. Right. He's hilarious. We talked about Duran Duran and drank rosé champagne. Awesome. Like, on brand. Um, so it's not only musicians. It's no, like a, it's no. Like it's, and I guy. get a lot of winemakers and writers, too. Right. So it's pretty fun. We haven't done any athletes yet. Uh, I'm definitely doing one with Raekwon because he has a Lambrusco line. He's got wine. Amazing. So we're going to do that one. Um, Michael Azrad, famous Rolling Stone writer, and then some winemakers. You you probably wouldn't know. So tune in, download that. It's available. Does it come out every Thursday? When's the release? You know what? We're going to let Sean figure that out. Okay. I'm just getting them all recorded and edited (laughs) and then being like, here you go. Yeah. So Winal with a W. Check it out. Follow Anthony on social media. Definitely get the new Eminem book, which is great. Please, it's called Not, um, not I mean, Afraid. This was really fun. We didn't even have a chance to talk about the Struts, a band we both no. love. The future of rock and roll. I mean, oh, I don't know. We, we have, in 10 seconds, we can just say other bands that you feel are still holding the flag for rock and roll. I mean, the Struts being one of them, obviously. 
Who else? Struts. I mean, we could talk about this forever, but at some point we do have to end. But I mean, the struts, the bar is high with yeah. the struts. I don't know. Who else? Are there other bands that you're like, you know, I these mean, bands for me? Because, you know, it's always interesting to talk to people that are around music so much and still passionate about music because i know i am but you don't meet that many people that are that love the rock yeah well yeah especially the rock right because people love whatever but but rock and roll is uh unfortunately it's it's in a dying place like proper rock and roll like that i don't know i didn't really do you have anyone well obviously there's There's a usual suspect barnes courtney's pretty cool yeah you know greta von fleet is obviously doing the zeppelin thing and you know there's mix i don't love them live though (laughs) i I don't be honest i'm like no i won't they're coming on the show so we'll we'll wait till they come on, but uh, but I love them on record. Yeah, um, definitely love them on record. I mean, I think there's you know Royal Blood was a very cool band that came out. Yeah, forgot you know. about that. Royal Blood's um, good. But I I feel like I don't know where they've been the last couple years. Um, yeah, I mean there's not a there's not a ton, you know. I I mean I guess we're all looking for the next GNR one day will it ever happen. I I don't really know if that that. I time hear there's a be. band called Rage Against the Machine that might be they coming might be out coming back. Soon. Coachella. Are you <laughs> yeah. going to Coachella? Do you do Coachella? I haven't gone in years. I okay. went to like the first like eleven. I was and so disappointed by the last. I'm, by I'm last sort of bummed I, by the the dual weekend and like the, yeah. the amount of teens. I, I, mean, I like not, some of these teens, but yeah, sometimes you go. There's like Bonnaroo and there's there's some of the other festivals. I find <clears throat> I like the eclectic mix that's going on there. Yeah. So I like the fact that you have like. 90s hip-hop and you'll have 80s rock and then you'll have alternative rock now yeah. and so that's cool but yeah coachella's it's been a bit all over the place the last couple of years i can't say that i've been super and inspired it's to go super so. slammed Definitely. i mean even if you know you've got hookups like i usually get hookups it's still like just really packed i Definitely. mean i remember the first you know eight nine years it was you could you could breathe you could run through a field and have a good time and, and my eyesight's going anthony so when i walk through the field at like <laughs> Same nine brother. at night i can't see anything and it's like I'm just like a blind person walking out there and I see <laughs> shadows, you know, so. But, oh, um, man. hey, man, this has been a lot of fun. We'll, we'll have to have you come back. Sure. I definitely think that you and Mick Fleetwood, I'll bring like some wine. I'll tell maybe you some, what to get. Yeah, I know maybe what he some likes. cheese or something. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And we'll do it again, bro. This is great. So follow Anthony, buy the Eminem book. Yep. And uh, we'll see you guys next week with Perry Farrell and after that, Jay Sheedy coming up. Nice. Thanks, guys. Thanks, see man. you soon. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. And so the show will return next week. And uh, have a great week, guys.
Hi, I'm Jingle Jared. In my former occupation, I was the biggest jingle writer of all time. Now, I'm looking for a new job, speaking to every entrepreneur that I can find so I can find out what it's like to transition from one career to another. All of this expert advice has become the bedrock for a podcast I'm calling Occupational Therapy. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Dennis Quaid here, and I want to tell you about the Orange Street. Now, I have recently started a podcast network called Audio Up, and much as I prepare for movie roles, I've been researching the podcast landscape and listening to hundreds of podcasts. One in particular stopped me in my tracks. The Orange Tree. It's a true crime podcast series told with such authenticity and care by Haley Butler and Tinu Thomas, two journalists who were University of Texas students when they started reporting on the story. It's about the 2005 murder of a young woman named Jennifer Cave near the University of Texas at Austin campus. What struck me most was the thorough examination of the case and the exclusive access granted to these two young reporters. What makes this true crime story so unique is their perspective. They're two young women who are the same age as Jennifer Cave and at very similar points in their lives. The Orange Tree is engaging, it's thoughtful, and really, really powerful. Take a listen to The Orange Tree on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.